Hello and welcome to the Hopeless Wonder podcast with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers eventually, and Andy McBride. And as you can see, it's only me and Andy at the moment. Uh, Craig is having some technical difficulties, but he will be joining us shortly. But more importantly, this is our last episode of the season. So, uh, we're going to have some fun, enjoy previewing some of the uh, games as well as reviewing the end of the season games. So if you are joining us live, say hello, make your thoughts known as you always do. But more importantly, let me introduce you to Andy. So Andy, I, I bet you're glad that the season has come to an end. Uh, more importantly though, mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm very, very glad the season's come to an end. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I feel like I've been waiting for the season to end for about six months at least, to be honest. But yeah, um, other than that, though, I'm good. So yeah, how are you, my friend? Yeah, good. Considering the uh, game that I had to endure on Saturday, which wasn't the uh, most prettiest, shall we say, um, gutted, shall we say, is the best feeling of emotion about uh, Saturday. But we crack on, you know, we weren't anticipating, I suppose, to uh, be in a playoff situation. So we did really well and we push on from next season. But let's crack on, mate, because there is so much football to talk about. So we might as well start off by talking about the story of the weekend or week. So if I start off with yourself, Andy, uh, what was your story of the weekend? Um, I think, well, obviously, uh, I suppose in the Premier League, that came to its conclusion. But I think, obviously, AC Milan winning their first title, was it 11 years? Mm. Uh, yeah. Massive, massive, massive achievement for them. Like, you know, we all kind of sort of thought to ourselves, oh, they're going to bottle it uh, <laughs> like at various <laughs> different points during the season. Uh, you know, there's quite a few there. You know, you've got like a 40-year-old Slatan Ibrahimovic winning it, you know, Winning a top, winning a bloody title this yeah. age is absolutely insane. So, yeah, yeah, kudos to AC Milan. It was a fantastic result. You know, three 0 at half time, so they were on it in that respect. Um, but yeah, no, really was uh, fascinating. I'm sure we'll be covering that off later. Um, for me, um, I'm going to bring it up is Lucas Podolski. So I don't know if you saw the scenes, um, but Lucas Podolski um, was joining his fellow fans. Uh, so he's currently playing in Poland for Gornik Zabcze, which is his kind of hometown club. Um, he confirmed a few days previously that he was signing a one-year extension. And on social media, all he did was just basically take pictures and videos of him being with the fans, uh, having a jolly up, shall we say, like enjoying beers as they were on the train to the last away game of the season, which was in Wrocław. And he was in the crowd, you know, charting for his team, you know, cheering on his teammates. Um, so, yeah, it was quite, quite funny to see that, you know, a 36-year-old Podolski, who is um, effectively their top goal scorer, um, I saw as nine goals. So doesn't sound like a lot, but it is for that team. And he's assisted four times this season. He's been quite pivotal as well, considering he's not really a striker anymore these days. As you can imagine, his legs aren't what they used to be. No, um, But yeah, no, that was really fun. And I think the other thing, um, the goal that you shared with me on social media, Mario Balotelli, the amount of stepovers, I was wondering whether he was going to do 20 before he did his goal, but <laughs> oh, that was quite epic, wasn't it? That was disgusting. I mean, that's, I know, it sounds like such a cliche, but like if Messi had scored that, we'd have never heard the end of it and he'd won like the Push Gas Awards. Um, it, was, it was an incredible finish. Definitely. And hopefully, just in time, we've got now Craig joining us and he can hear us hopefully as well. Um, but Craig, nice to have you on. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? And more importantly, can you share with us your story of the weekend as well? 
Good evening. Sorry for being late. Uh, laptop decided to do an update five minutes before the pod started. You could not make it up. Uh, <laughs> I'm good, mate. I'm really, really good. My moment of the weekend, other than um, Rangers winning the, the Scottish Cup final, uh, Hertha Berlin managed to beat Hamburg um, after yeah. being beaten the first leg, came back and, and won that relegation tie. So Hertha Berlin stayed in the Bundesliga and Hamburg again condemned to another season in the, the Bundesliga's vice. So yeah, so near yet so far for Hamburg. What about yourself, Adam? What caught your eye other, other than the obvious? Yeah, well, I was just uh, reminiscing with Andy around Lucas Podolski. So I don't know if you saw the pictures and the videos, but he was um, joining his fellow fans at Gornig um for the last game of the season. He wasn't in the team. So he decided to join them on the boys tour, um, having a few drinks on the train and uh, cheering on his teammates in the last game of the season. So it's quite epic. But I've just been reminiscing also with Andy about Mario Balotelli and his stepovers. Yes. In the <laughs> <laughs> but on that German theme, I thought we'd also mention Marco Royce. I didn't expect that story to break through, but him leaving Dortmund. And uh, yeah, that's quite of a shock. Where's he it? off to? It makes a bit more sense when you see who's coming to replace him. So mm. when Eden Terzic was Lucien Favre's assistant and when Favre was sacked, he took them to the end of the season and actually performed reasonably well, won them the Dutch FA Cup, so German FA Cup, sorry. Yeah. And there was a bit of a conversation then about do we actually give him this job full-time or do we appoint someone else? They decided to appoint mm. Marco Rosa. I think throughout last season with the exit in Europe, the exit in the Cup by a, a fifth-tier team, they probably saw it and thought, actually, they probably should have stuck with Eden Terzic. So, mm. uh, first of all, I was I was really shocked like you. I thought, I mean, what, are they, what are they doing there? And then the very next day, Eden Terzic announced, you're thinking, ah, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Something that uh, clubs like Burnley probably should take a bit of notice of. Yeah, no, definitely. But do you kind of feel, and this is a sentiment that I'm getting from this, that it feels like a wasted year that, you know, they could have bought in Terzic obviously last season instead of getting Marco Royce. And obviously there's high hopes because I think of what Marco Royce did at Mönchengladbach. But yeah, obviously it does feel on the outside like they've just wasted a season trying to back this guy. Yeah, you're right. And they've the wasted a season, the last season with Erling Haaland. Um, mm. So, you know, the Jude Bellingham, Erling Haaland, it was all building towards having yeah. a really good squad last season. And now that they've they've almost wasted the, the two years that they had with Erling Haaland um, and not really got close to Bayern. And Bayern last season weren't vintage by any stretch. And they had a few decent um, decent defeats in the season as well. So they'll look at it mm. as a, an opportunity missed. I don't think it was a wrong decision to appoint him originally because he was, you're right, he was a good manager. And I, I don't think any of us looked at that and thought, that's not going to work. But hindsight's wonderful and... Yeah, I think they'll look back and think, you know what, if we'd have had the right man in there with that squad, with a, a less than fantastic Bayern team, could have done something a bit differently. But yeah, you know, good luck to him. He was, he was pretty reasonable um, at intelligence when he was there. So yeah, fingers crossed for him. They can, they can replace Haaland as, you know, as best as you can replace a man mm. like that. Um, and then push on. It still looks like they're going to try and keep Bellingham. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed for the next year. Yeah, no, and certainly they've got the groundings, what seem to be developing of maybe a rejuvenation at uh, Dortmund because you've got Schlotterbeck, who they bought in from Freiburg, and obviously Sebastian Kerl, who's the next player, now in a director role. So hopefully you might see some changes at the club. But let's move on to the Premier League. Um, lots to talk about. Obviously, it was quite a fun final day, I have to say. Um, despite my feelings about Saturday, and I'm sure Craig will reminisce about Saturday at some point as well. But yeah, that Sunday was probably uh, more epic than I anticipated and uh, was really helped by uh, the clubs like Aston Villa and Wolves deciding to turn up on this final day as well because uh, they gave the likes of Liverpool and Man City something to be worried about. Equally, um, <laughs> at the same time, we also saw the battle at the bottom where it seemed to be changing every minute. You know, Burnley throwing it away eventually, losing to Newcastle. Um, so yeah, if I start off with yourself, Andy... Uh, what did you make of that final day in the Premier League? Oh, I was bricking it. I thought Liverpool were actually going to win the bloody league at one point. I was just <laughs> like, oh, I'd made a bet of a mate at work that if Liverpool win the treble, uh, at least, I'd be buying them a pint. Uh, thankfully, I didn't overcommit myself. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was... Um, I, I don't think anybody had um, Aston Villa go to the up against City in the bingo cards. I know there was this whole narrative of um, 
Stevie G being in charge of uh, Villa mm. and wanted to do his old club a favour. But as per usual, he slipped up uh, now as a manager <laughs> rather than a player. Sorry, I had to get that dig in. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, they came out uh, they came out the blocks really well. I think, you know, they had their chances. Obviously, um, I thought Edison was a bit poor for uh, Matty Cash's mm. goal. I thought he should have been safe in that. I was caught uh, on the hop for... Um, Coutinho's, wasn't Coutinho's it? goal as well. He was rough footed. So that wasn't one of his better performances. And I thought Ollie Watkins when he was one on one. So there could have been a lot more jeopardy uh, for Villa, um, oh, sorry, for City than there was in the end. But yeah, um, I think uh, Ilke Gundogan, I think what Gradio has done well, he's got a, lot of, got a lot of goals out of him in the past couple of seasons because he wasn't like that. Um, earlier in his career, and he's turned into he's turned into a proper box to box midfielder, especially after all the injury issues that he's had, mm. and you know Rodri coming up with his once a season banger, <laughs> which he seems <laughs> to do like a typical defensive midfielder, like doesn't really score any goals and just pops up. But yeah, I think when City got that first goal, you just kind of knew the mm. other two goals were going to come because they have the talent to bring off a bench to make that kind of difference. Um, and that's what they have against Villa. And I think with Liverpool, like, yeah, they went behind against Wolves, but you always felt that they were going to win that game. But yeah, I think um, it's going to be a tough ask for City to mm. um, to expect City to lose that game completely. Uh, you know, it got a little bit sweaty in the end. But yeah, I think over the course of a whole season, you know, the, the team that finishes top is the one that deserves to win it ultimately. Yeah, certainly. And Craig, um, on Liverpool, it did feel like um, Klopp had instilled this confidence into his players because the players were absolutely gutted come the final whistle and when they learned about Man City actually winning against uh, Villa. Because even during the kind of cut-off scenes that you saw in Match of the Day, you could see that it, you know, the atmosphere at Anfield was the belief that somehow Villa were winning against Man City and they felt like the momentum was with them. So it's going to be a hell of a job to pick them up for the Champions League final, which we will preview later on. But yeah, it did feel like that was kind of the moment where they almost slunk themselves down and they just felt despondent as a result of that. Yeah, they'll be disappointed because they would have honestly believed it was possible. Um, mm. You know, guys like that that win you know multiple trophies across multiple seasons do so because they have that that mentality of it's not over till it's over. And especially when they would have heard that Manchester City were two 0 down, that you know you hear a manager say we're not concentrating on their game, we're concentrating on their own game. Listen, every single one of those players knew that Man City were, were down two 0 mm. uh, and I expected both clubs to win, but not in that that sort of dramatic fashion. So. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely going to be gutted to lose the league title in, in the last day. And Rangers have done it a couple of times in, in my lifetime, so I, I can sympathise with how, how difficult that is. Um, but with regards to, to picking them up, I think it's one of those that old cliche: if you need motivation for for these kind of games, you shouldn't be you should be a player. And I think it would have affected them a lot more uh, had they not won the league a couple of years ago. If this was the one. They're the mm. winning the Premier League again for the first time in God knows how long. I think it would be exceptionally crushing and difficult. But because we've been there, done it recently, um, I think you know they'll say, "Let's just dust ourselves off, go for the Champions League." That's that's the trophy that, that City want anyway. Um, <laughs> I think I think we'll have no problem. I think Klopp and that team, the job Henderson has been there before, Andy Robertson, Manny, all these guys have all, all been there before. Thiago Alcantara, if he can start, it will be huge for them. He's played these <clears> games before as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think the senior players in that squad and the manager will all have that focus now. I think they'll have put that to bed um, Sunday, Monday, and thought, you know what, well, let's just mm. concentrate and, and take on the biggest prize in European football. If we move to the battle at the bottom, then as well, Craig. Um, obviously, Leeds did manage to pull it off; they did win. Um, but a side thought came into my head is Rafinha. Obviously, had a magnificent performance for this match. But had he got sent off against Arsenal, would we be saying that they'd be relegated instead of Burnley? I think potentially. I think I think Burnley fans have got every right to be very, very angry with Brentford. Um, Brentford mm. on Sunday were, were really, really poor. The boy in Buemo um, missed God knows how many chances, uh, how many sitters. Um, and then that idiot got himself sent off with the, the yellow card for the foul. Oh, goodness, um, yeah. The yeah. yellow card for the foul after taking his shirt off. So if I'm watching match of the day and I'm a Burnley fan, Leeds win 2-1 against nine men. 
Um, I think Burnley fans will have got every right to feel pretty, pretty agreed with that. Um, I watched that game. That was the one I actually chose to watch was Leeds versus Brentford. I thought that would get exceptionally nervy for Leeds. Um, and I expected both Burnley and Leeds to get beat on Sunday, therefore Leeds go down. Um, mm. Burnley just couldn't do it against Newcastle. They had plenty of chances as well. Um, very cost uh, missed a couple of sitters. Um, but yeah, I thought Leeds were very fortunate, A, to have Rafinha on the park, and B, to play a Brentford side who ended up down to nine men and, and who just could not yeah. finish their dinner. So yeah, Burnley fans, I think, watching match of the day would have been through gritty teeth on, on Sunday night. Definitely. And Andy, uh, I know we've been speaking a few episodes ago about Burnley and the financial issues that they've got. Um, they have to pay off a major chunk of the loan that the uh, owners right now uh, have offset against the club. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, departures are being rumoured, but you know, you've got likes of Tarkovsky that will be leaving on a free transfer. So, you know, realistically um it feels like this club could be in a spiral um because realistically i think clubs are going to look at the assets in particular the likes of corne and pope and kind of say well we'll we'll buy him but not at the price that you might want yeah they owe uh, i think 65 million quid is due pretty sharpish um and you know i think I saw an article in the Guardian the other day and the club they compared it to was um, Huddersfield. When when they went mm. down, their income went from like 120 odd million to about 59. So you owe 65 million quid. Your income's going to at least drop by um, an absolute, you know, at least by 50%, if not more. They haven't really got any sort of commercial appeal. So, you know, mm. you know, when the likes of like Newcastle went down into or Leeds went down into the championship, they've got a huge fan base where you're getting 50,000 people in there, even in the championship. They haven't got that. They haven't really got that much in a way of sellable asset. So, you know, you've got Maxwell Cornet and um obviously Nick Pope as their real sellable assets, but they've invested pretty much nothing into their squad over the past few transfer windows. I mean, you've got Ben Mee, who he's out of contract to the season. He'll probably yeah. stay on because they need somebody there as a senior figure in that team. Uh, obviously, you've got Nathan Phillips. But other than that, it's a lot of... Uh, you know, like, you've got people like you know Phil Barsley still knocking about, Jack Cork, Eric Peters. Like, they're going to get fuck all out of mm. the lights of those kind of guys. So I don't see where they're going to raise... The fifty odd million pound deficit that they would get by being going down into the championship. Obviously, some of that is offset by parachute payments. Then they've got to obviously uh pay sixty odd million quid. So unless they do some um you know refinancing and um do some accounting magic, which is you know way beyond the comprehension of um you and I probably, it's gonna be difficult for them. And you've seen it happen yeah. before, like Clubs that are in that sort of situation, you know, you can see them go bump it down into League One quite mm. easily. Like I remember, like Bradford City, um, yeah. doing it back in the early two thousands. The Ipswich tried doing it. Um, I remember Hall doing it. You know, they spent uh, they spent a bit too much money, uh, but in this case, it's 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 off their own doing. I think you've got to put the onus on the previous ownership for that. They let that happen. They mm. they must have known. You know who the guy was taking over and how he was funding it, and they still let that go ahead. And I think for a group of people that apparently you know cared about Burnley so much, I think that's a little bit negligent, to be honest with you. And mm. the other thing as well, I was thinking about it is that Burnley haven't are not just a side that have been in the Premier League for you know one or two years. They were there for six or seven seasons, and you're collecting what eighty odd million quid in TV money, not to mention all the rest of it, season after season. And you look at it and go, well, where's somebody actually gone? Um, yeah. I think it's a fair question to ask because they've certainly mm. not spent it on players. Um, and I think, yeah, if I was a Burnley fan, I'd be pissed. I think they might be pissed about Leeds against res- about the individual result on or at Brentford on the individual yeah. Sunday. But at the end of the day, if you're leaving it in if you're leaving it to the last game of the season to try and dictate your own fate, it is your own fault. But I think off the pitch they've got a lot of questions that need answered and I'd be really worried for them. 
Mm, well, Sean Dyche certainly has the last laugh over Burnley. Um, but I just uh, wanted to reminisce you guys on this one. I saw this story and I don't know how legitimate it is, but it made me laugh. Apparently, after the result on Sunday, uh, Corney has gone to the board of directors asking to return to his parent club. What he means by that, I have no idea, but it does feel like his agent's done a number on him. So, uh, yeah. I mean, he ended, up, he ended up at Burnley. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a telltale enough sign for that. This is it. This is true. Um, I thought we'd also talk about the season in general. Um, but before we do so, I thought I'd re- reminisce about the uh, first pod that we did this season. So on the 12th of August, 2021, it was. I made some audacious predictions uh, that I'm ready to get mud in my face right now. So in total, I only got three of them right. Um, So that was Norwich City finishing bottom, Watford uh, next thereafter and Liverpool being second. Um, Just before we went live, I did reminisce with Andy about some of the shockers that I did. So uh, just to remind everyone, I went for Chelsea as being uh, top of the table. I did get Spurs over Arsenal. So, you know, Spurs being above Arsenal, right? Uh, although in the wrong positions. And Leeds was probably my worst one. I got them in eighth position. Um, but yeah, I know also Andy did get the bottom three, correct? So well done, Andy. You yeah. did predict with Burnley going down. Um, so I thought, let's go around the houses and kind of understand who was like our best worst performers but also underachievers and overachievers and any highlights that we took from this season so craig if i start off with yourself um what has the season been for you has this been one of the best or better premier league seasons well first of all thank you for not reading out my predictions that's very kind, <laughs> that's very, very kind of you i appreciate that because there i got quite a few wrong myself for the benefit I, of a tape what were they i want to know i i think i had i think i had man city and liverpool because i think at the time we were still waiting for harry Kane to sign for man city so i think i had man city liverpool mm. then chelsea then man united which is probably my well saying that i also had brentford to go down which is which is probably yeah. my worst my worst prediction um, the, the season on a whole, I think, is one of the better ones. And the, the reason for that is that there's been genuine excitement up until the end. Um, the Premier League gets hyped up quite a lot um, by broadcasters and fans in this country. And sometimes I think it's probably a little bit undeserved, if I'm honest. Um, I'm starting to watch less and less Premier League football. But the last two or three weeks of the season, I was absolutely glued to it. Uh, I watched you know, as many games as I possibly could. Um, and it lived up to the hype. I think I read somewhere that 14 of the 20 positions could have changed in the last day, which is the first time in a long, long time that that's happened. So, you know, genuine jeopardy from the title to the Champions League places, European places, relegation, all going down to the last the last 90 minutes of the season. So as a, as a fan, particularly a neutral fan, you can't really ask a lot more than that. Um, so I think it's been one of the classics, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest. Mm. Um, my overachievers for the season have to be Brentford. Um, I yeah. predicted them to, to go down. I thought Thomas Frank, yeah, it's pretty in the championship. I just did not think they would they would collect enough points. And mm. um, so overachievers, Brentford, underachievers, yeah, it's gonna to have to be Everton, maybe Aston Villa. Everton certainly that's a bit of an obvious one. I think Aston Villa finishing 14th with the money that they spent, the continual loan, getting the manager that they wanted. I think 14 will see is a bit of a disappointment. But I said the best moment of the season for me personally is Christian Eriksen coming back. I think Christian Eriksen mm. coming back playing football, signing for Brentford, teaming up with Thomas Frank again. Um he coached him at Ajax Youth and just you know, seeing him healthy playing football and contributing, you know, contributing really well and changing mm-hmm. that team. It's not like he's been a passenger, it's not been a you know, uh, a little bit of a, a sideshow or a, a cameo novelty. He's been a they're genuinely their best player in the second half of the season, and he's been worth every single penny that he's that he's got for them. So I think, yeah, feel good for the season, definitely having Christian Eriksen back playing football and playing well. Mm, definitely. What about for you, Andy? Who were the highlights and who were the worst teams, best teams, overachievers and underachievers? Well, I think in terms of obviously overachievers, um, I think Brighton, um, uh, are one that's probably worth mentioning. Um mm. You know, Gray Potter's put or spent a couple of years putting together a really, really attractive side. Um, I've seen them, you know, especially against Manchester United, really absolutely rip them to shreds on occasion. And, you know, I think we've said it before, they're a uh, decent striker away, a 20 goal a season striker away for probably punching even higher. Uh, they recruit really well, uh, they play lovely football. And I think, you know, as a Oh, sounds kind of horrible, but you know, when you're kind of 
put you forward the Premier League as a brand and you're you know you're telling people about it um you know people play teams like Burnley that play football in you know the right way um sorry Brighton uh playing football the right way are kind of more preferable to teams like you know like Norwich and um Burnley that you know don't seem to sort of put in the effort uh West Ham as well I think for them to have the European campaign that has lasted as long as it has and um still finish seventh and you know they're quite unlucky not to finish higher than that to be honest with you um mm. they've done really well um I think it's underachievers Everton um I mean <laughs> For the, you know, they're very, very lucky. I mean, if we think we've been talking about how bad Burnley's situation is because of if because of them going down, if Everton had gone down and times up by a few, you know, they've already at the uh, wrong end of the financial fair play. They've got questions being asked of them as to how they wrote off um, COVID expenses, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to the tune which £100 million more than everybody else, not to mention the building a new stadium as well. Which I don't think they had championship football in mind for. So they've done they've got very, very lucky. And I think one thing I did, although I'll give them credit in some way, I didn't expect Frank Lampard's team to find a set of balls and fight. Um <laughs> but we did eventually they left yeah. it to the last three games of the season. And I think the biggest you know, underachievers, I think it's been Manchester United. I mean it's been an absolute bin fire uh from start to finish. Mm. Um, you know, they sacked a guy who ultimately got his Second, uh, when he got fired, we were only a couple of points away from the Champions League places. Uh, and you know, hiring Ralph Magnick has been an absolute disaster. There's been quite a lot of off the pitch distractions, you know, leaks mm. and off field behavior, which has been far from ideal. Um, and uh, you know, illegal in a few cases. Um, it's yeah, it's been a lot of upheaval. Um, and I think every Manchester United fan is glad to see the back of them, really. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's only there's not really any players that can look back on the on this season uh, with any sort of pride whatsoever. I think the new signings haven't quite kicked off in the way that we expected. I think you know we probably expected more of Sancho, Varane. Um, mm. You know, it's yeah. I think a lot of the mismanagement over the past few years really come to a head, and it is a bit of a toxic. It has been a bit of a toxic environment. So I'd have them down as big as underachievers because at the end of the day, when you spend more than everybody else over ten years, you have a wage bill that's higher than virtually anybody else. I think, apart from Manchester City, uh, you should be finishing higher than six. Um, it's a simple fact of a matter. So. Yeah, in terms of um, underachievers, I'd have to put my own team off in regards to that one. Well, just for kind of difference, I suppose, from the answers that have already been given. Um, Underachievers-wise, I did have Villa here, but I'm going to go for Chelsea. Um, I just think for the way they performed for the latter part of this season, and I'm just talking about Premier League here, so because, you know, for what they've done in the cup runs, you know, it's unlucky that they've lost two finals. Um, they didn't do as well in the Champions League this season. But I think when we think about their league performance and how they've been playing, it, it's probably under par for where they should be. And I think when you've got the likes of Spurs potentially chasing you and being so close to overtaking you as well, um, that goes to show how bad the slump has been for the second half of this season. But I think from my predictions going based on that, Villa definitely come across as the underachievers because at the time I was listening to our pod earlier from the first um, episode this season, um, there was this optimism, especially after they pulled off the Danny Ings transfer. They had Leon Bailey come through. There was rumours about James Ward-Prowse potentially joining them. And um, as an underachiever in terms of players, Leon Bailey probably sticks out like a sore thumb at the moment. I mean, his performance for this season has been poor. I appreciate he's had some injuries, but at the same time, when he has been on, I think he's only had maybe a good game against Everton for 20 minutes. And that's about it, really. So that kind of sums up Villa. And I know there's been a lot of comments about Gerard since he's taken over, hasn't inspired him apart from that initial kind of bounce. So... Yeah, from that point of view, definitely underachievers. For overachievers, definitely had Brentford as one, but just for variety, I'm going to go with Wolves. I don't think many people expected Wolves to be where they ended up. I appreciate 
it's the lower half of the table. Um, but I think, to be fair, they were at one point pushing for the Europa places as well. So for a season where I think they were anticipated to be in the bottom half, more likely to be um, you know, in that kind of relegation mix at one point as well. I think that really stands out as an achievement by Bruno Liage. But I think there's going to be question marks about what he does in the summer as well and how he can transfer that kind of momentum that he had in the first half of the season into a full season with Wolves. And in terms of highlights, it's got to be for me, Chelsea losing at home to Brentford 4-2. I mean, that Christian Eriksen performance really stands out as one of the performances. I appreciate there was loads of games that we could have pulled out. But for me, I think that really stands out. Also want to just call out Crystal Palace. I think they've had an amazing season as well. Um, we haven't talked about them extensively on this pod, but they've pulled out a few results. And Vieira, I think there was a lot of scrutiny about him. Um, in particular, I think the change of philosophy of style, considering I think there was about 10, 12 players they brought in because there was a huge summer where they had to move on players. Um, you know, the likes of Gary Cahill that left on a free transfer. I don't know where he is these days. I think he's still at Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, that really sums up the season that has happened. Um, any other thoughts, you guys? Because I appreciate um, it seems like we've uh, summarised this quite quickly. But um, yeah, any other I think thoughts? Crystal Palace is a great show. Um, there was definitely a feeling of the Frank de Bulls when, when Patrick Vieira was brought in. Um, your former manager going to try and change the philosophy and a lot of Crystal Palace fans that, that I follow on Twitter were really, really apprehensive but you're absolutely right to, to pick them out. He's been he's been really, really solid and they're another another team that I think are probably a 20-goal striker away from being a really, really solid and exciting team and you hopefully they can keep Eze, um Zaha happy and you know, they've got the, the makings of a, quite a, mm. a solid team and I'd like to see them push on as well. Uh, Newcastle, worth a mention, I mean, not from the beginning of the season, but if you'd have asked me in January um, who was going down, I would have put really, really quite a lot of money on Newcastle. So, you know, credit, yes, he spent a lot of money. They brought in some quality players, but I think Eddie Howe has far exceeded my expectations and where they've Definitely. landed. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. think he had um, the bottom, really, or the, the bravery, stature, drive, call it what you like, to go in mm-hmm. and manage a club of, of that size with a fan base that I expect. And, you know, managing Bournemouth, who expected to get knocked about, it's very, very different to going into a, a club that expects to win every home game. They will, they will, those fans will be expecting, they will, they will feel right now that they, they should be putting up a challenge against anyone at home. So, yeah, I think, yeah, kudos to Eddie Howe. I didn't see that one coming. And, you know, mm. hopefully, hopefully they, they spend well in the summer. I don't want them to go out and, you know, look at the, the, the 80, 90 million pound players. You know, they, they spent really, really well in January. And players that know the league, players that, that, that take them forward incrementally. Um, and if they go and, you know, buy three or four players that get them from where they are now to be, you know, eighth or ninth. And then, you know, do it over the five or six windows rather than trying to go big bang. Because when it's big mm. bang, big expectations, I think Eddie Hill will vote and then you start the cycle again. So I think he's proven his worth. I'd give him some money in the summer, um, recruit well, and let's see where they go next year. Yeah, certainly. And Annie, final summary on Man United. Um, I'm sure you're a bit more optimistic for next season. Um, but yeah, obviously for next season, should Man United fans be kind of dreaming of top four or should they give Eric Ten Hag the time? Because I know there's been a lot of speculation I've seen on social media, but I, I think realistically, if you aim for top six again, that'll be a good starting point for Eric Ten Hag and that Man United side. Yeah, I think, you know, at the moment, uh, obviously because it's Manchester United, you know, people, journalists and faking minnows with access to the internet um, will talk about Manchester United could get some clicks. But I think realistically, I think all fan, I think all any sort of fan wants, myself included, just want to see a Cajun mentality. Because I think the thing that's mm. been most disappointing over the past season is not necessarily the results, which, yeah, they are disappointing. It's the performances. It's the attitudes. It's the lack of work rate and, you know, the lack of team spirit. Um, I mean, the atmosphere, frankly, stinks. And you could tell that by the way they mm. conduct themselves on the pitch. And I think that's just what you want to see in mentality. I think there are going to be quite a few players leaving. I think the likes of... Um, Lingard and um, Pogba leaving and, you know, the likes of Cavani, who's basically taken the piss um, of being an annual leave for the best part of the year. <laughs> uh, I think having those kind of characters um, leaving would be good for the club. It'll save the club a lot of money. Um, obviously, a- anybody with a Dutch passport has been linked with uh, Manchester <laughs> United so far. I think um, 
And I think it'd just be case to see what happens. I think the way I view it at the moment is if Ted Hag wants a player, then the board need to go out and get that player. If Ted Hag feels that he can work with the existing players that are at the club. So if he feels for the likes of, you know, Marcus Rashford and Harry Maguire and, you know, others that he can get something out of them and get them performing back to a better level than they have been, then as a fan, you just need to go right back him and let him do his job. Uh, mm. He's been able to get the backroom stuff that he wants to win. Uh, so, yeah, you, you know, United are not going to buy nine or ten first team ready players. That it's just not in the because of the sort of prices that are out there, they're not going to do it. So at the end of the day, there's going to have to be some youth bought in. There's going to be some players that pretty much every fan probably would want out. Uh, but mm. he's, and they're still going to be there next season. And he's going to have to try and get a tune out of them. Uh, so yeah, I think top six, hopefully top four, but we just want to see a change of mentality, you know, a defined way of playing you, know, you want to be able to look at the end, end of the season you want to be able to watch Manchester United and go yep I can see what they're trying to do I can see how they're trying to play if it comes off happy days if not but you can see the process and for the past um, year or so we've not really seen that so yeah that's kind of what I want just back to basics really find the style of play stick with it and work mm. on building the team over three or four windows I'm relatively patient in that respect. Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't of that mentality. Yeah. Uh, but that's certainly my expectations for the um, upcoming season. Yeah, it does feel like when Klopp went into Liverpool, it took a few seasons before he got tuned out of that team. So Man United fans, be patient is the word from Andy. So Craig, let's move on to Serie A. Um, I'm going to steal this from Nicky Bandini, but um, Sam Allardyce famously said if he was called Sam Allardyce, he would get a top-level job. Um, David Nicola obviously pulls off a masterstroke. He keeps up Salernitana, <laughs> despite the fact that they lost 4-0 to Udinese. Uh, thanks to uh, Venezia as well. They drew 0-0 with Calgary. So, um, yeah, fascinating end of season in Serie A as well. We'll talk about the title race, but Salernitana, obviously, they were dead and buried. We didn't give them any hopes. Uh, We've even said how poor they are in terms of a team in Serie A. Um, I think the only time I can remember a team as poor as this was Crotone. Ironically, Nicola also managed to keep them up. So, uh, yeah, David Nicola, maybe he should be named for the next big Italian job or Italian club job, potentially. What do you think? Well, I've, I was, I've been quoted on this podcast saying Salernitana were the worst squad I've ever seen in Serie A. I'll tell you what, they're definitely the worst squad to ever stay up uh, in, in <laughs> Serie A. Um, even, even on the last day, they just needed to get some sort of result and they got beat 4-0 off of a very, very ordinary Udinese side. So um, they have rode the luck a lot this season, no, mm. no more so than the last day. Very, very, very fortunate. But... Um, Salerno is a tiny little town and, you know, fair play to them for staying in the, the top fight of Italian football. So, um, yeah, David Nicola, is one of, he's one of those managers. He's very much a, a Allardyce, um, Mark Hughes, Alan Pardew type where, yeah, yeah you, you trust him in a relegation battle, but I don't know if I would trust him with a team of players who actually have to play football, actually have to win games. He's very much of a scrappy, you know, defend and, and try and snatch something type of manager. But, yeah, fair play to Salernitana. It's sad to see Venezia go down with um, some of the nicest kits we've seen in a long time in, in Serie A. And a yes. lovely, lovely, a lovely stadium as well um, out in Venice. Yeah. So, should to see them go. But fair enough to Salernitana for uh, for staying in the league. And yeah, I'll ask you again about your your thoughts on the, the very, very top. I, I, me personally, I would like to see AC Milan do it. Um, it seemed a little bit anticlimactic on the final day. It felt yeah. what we had in what we had in England with the the two and four and who's going to win it. There was none of that in Italy. Um, no. AC Milan, potential banner skin away to Sassuolo, who've been a bogey team in recent years. Bit of a, a banana skin there. And AC Milan just went out and, and took care of business very, very early on, very professionally. Mm. And it was almost party time from about 25 minutes in. Yeah, no, definitely. You only have to see the scenes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic giving that <laughs> speech after the match, I think it was. Um, that kind of typifies what Milan have been like, I think. They've had their struggles. Um, you know, we've spoken about the fact that they've had to makeshift their team at time mm -hmm. as well. You know, the likes of Kalulu, for example, playing for the best part of six months as a centre-back. 
You know, Tonali, I think he's grown this season. Yeah. I think there's been a lot said about Liao as well. I mean, he's becoming ever increasingly a more important player for Milan. I do worry about their future in terms of the players that they're linked with. So uh, I know Renato Sanchez might be good, um, but I'm less so sure about the likes of Diderik Origi, for example. Um, And then we'll have to wait and see if other kind of moves take place because, you know, they've got to replace Frank Kessie, who maybe he's not going to be a big miss, but I'm sure the impacts of what he's had this season will be telling in terms of, you know, trying to get a good quality midfielder. I haven't been that impressed by the likes of Brahim Diaz, for example. I think no. he hasn't been as good. Having said that, obviously, I think this whole Serie A season has been fascinating. You know, Napoli gave us hope of potentially going away, breaking away as being that Southern club that might actually bring back the Scudetto. Unfortunately, they fell off by the wayside, a few results here and there. Um, And Inter Milan, obviously, I know we've spoken more intensively about them and their chances. I think um, the season they've had, most Inter fans would have taken it given that they had to give the likes of Lukaku and Hakimi just to balance their books as well. So, you know, they've had a fantastic season and it's good to see that kind of respect for these two because even on social media, they were saying, well done to each other, see you next season, for example. So beautiful to see that. Um, Less so about Juventus. I was hoping someone else would beat them too. I'm I'm quite worried worried about them. Uh, I think... Di Maria and Paul Pogba are just two of the most Juventus signings. Um, they're going to pay big, big wages, a la Aaron Ramsey, a la Rabiot. Um, and I just I just think we're going to be sat here a year from now going, told you so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really worried about Juventus, their whole strategy. of Just bringing in these ageing, ageing players um, worries me. But I think you see, I, I think the future's quite bright for AC Milan. Not, I've been quite encouraged. I know oh, what you're yeah. saying about some of the, some of the players that have been linked, I think. Mike Magnon was up was a stroke of genius. I think Tamori's yes, been a great yeah. sign in Tamali after a ropey first season is really going into that side. And I think they've after historically buying quite poorly. Um mm-hmm. thinking about the you new know, Piontech as an example was just an absolute yes, busty yeah. flash. I mean, guys, guys like that, they spent a lot of money on. I think over the last sort of 18 months, two years, I think the, the, the signings have actually been pretty good. And um I know that Maldini's sort of at the head of that mm. recruitment um department there. I said, if someone, so if someone can pick a player, um, then, then it's that man. So uh, I think you're hopefully the future's bright. And, you know, a good, strong Milan team means a good, strong Serie A. Um, yeah. it's, one of the, it's one of the few leagues in, in, the, in Europe where you genuinely have maybe three or four teams that could win it. Uh, you just do not get that anywhere else. Um, so, yeah, as many strong teams in, in Italy as possible, please. Yeah, certainly. And um, I think they're still linked with Botman, for example, from Lille, who's expected to leave. So, you know, that could be a decent backup in terms Mm -hmm. of defensive duties, especially as Robin Gnoli, he's going to be leaving them as well this summer, potentially. Um, Interesting one as well. I just thought we'd just talk about it briefly. Atalanta, they lost to Empoli on the last day of the season, but Fiorentina beat Juventus 2-0. So that secures Fiorentina at least for a Europa Conference position as well. Um, Atalanta, it's going to be a very big season for them next season, isn't it, Craig? Yeah, it feels like this is the end of the cycle, uh, and maybe yeah. that's you know being a little bit dramatic. Maybe it's just maybe it just is a bad season. They had a lot of COVID issues and a lot of injuries, um, uh, but it does feel like that four, five, six-year window where they were you know really exciting, winning games and, and finishing in the Champions League places. It does feel like that's starting to come to an end now. They may have another good summer. They do buy well also. Um, Gasparini looks like he's stayed on, which is massive for them. Um, he, mm. you know, is that is the philosophy, is the soul of the club. So, the manager stays on if they can recruit well and, and bring through some youngsters, then then you never know. But I think um, Juventus next season um, will be there thereabouts. I think Roma, I mean, Champions League, I don't mean for the title, I think Roma will be resurgent. Um, so yeah, you're going to have quite a, quite a lot of competition there. Um, and Atlanta, yeah, need to be need to be stronger than they were this year, but I, I would I would hate for that that period in Atlantis history to pass without a trophy. I would like them just to win a, a Coppa Italia or, or yeah. something just to mark this period because if they look back in 20, 30 years, they can look at it and go, yeah, we qualified for Europe six seasons in a row and wasn't it lovely in these results? But you'd like something for the fans to, to remember this year by. It would be a real shame for that manager and these this type of players and this squad mm. to pass without really winning anything. I think it would be a real shame. So again, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for a strong Atlanta next season. 
And from the mix that we've got, so obviously we talked about Milan, Inter, Napoli briefly, Juventus, Lazio, Roma, Fiorentina. Do you expect that to be the same seven and just maybe in a different order subject to who they move on and who they bring in? Yeah, I think it will be. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be some sort of variation of those. I I don't know whether it's just heart or head, but I do expect Roma to be strong next season. I think if mm. they can looks like they're potentially gonna win tonight, I think that'd be huge for the club. You know, haven't won a trophy yeah. in 13, 14 years. So to, to win a trophy again, um, invest well in the summer. Mourinho keeps on they absolutely loved him in Rome. I mean <laughs> it was it was up here when he when he started and then it started to dip a little bit but now they are right back up and they are they are drinking the Yosi Kool-Aid over there in Rome. They are they are mad for him. So yeah if he can spend well um improve their squad there you never know that they've got to be looking at um your Naples and your Juventus and thinking you know can we finish third to fourth next year that's where Roma have to be have to be looking at. Um but yeah mm. fingers crossed but I think it'll be some sort of variation I'd be I'd be surprised if you're are as strong again. Um yeah but you never know. You never know. I've been proven wrong um, quite a lot in this pod so far. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's a tick for Serie A. So uh, massive thank you to Serie A for giving us so much joy this season. It's been a pleasure seeing the dramas, especially at the top of the table as well as the bottom of the table. So we'll uh, introduce a listener question. So this is from the Love of List podcast who asks us, who are our top five free agents this summer? Um, I've done some research just to give you boys a chance to have a little think about this, but there's quite a lot of players that are top level that still haven't signed their contracts. So there's going to be a lot of speculation on this list potentially, but uh, just to rattle off a few names, obviously we've got Paul Pogba, who hasn't been confirmed yet from the Premier League, James Tarkovsky, Alexander Lacazette, for example, Christian Eriksen, for example. We've got Mohamed Elneny. I appreciate that's not really a big name, but yeah, just <laughs> thought I'd introduce that. We've got Edison Cavani, uh, Yarmolenko, for example, at West Ham, João Moutinho, potentially here. Um, we've also got likes of Andrew Ogbonna. <laughs> potentially, who might be a good addition for someone. Um, looking in Spain, we've got Osmanen Dembele. We've got the likes of Luis Suarez, uh, Luka Modric, Isco, for example. Um, we've also got Gareth Bale, believe it or not. Uh, Marcelo from Real Madrid. He's on a free transfer, potentially, this summer. Uh, also, Dani Alves. He'll be, I think, 39 by the time he uh, comes round to next season. Uh, in Serie A, we've got the likes of Paolo Dybala, for example. Andrea Bellotti, for example. Um, also, Ivan Perisic, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan, for example. And uh, then looking at Ligue 1, so we've got the likes of Cesc Fabregas, who's going to be on a free. Burak Yilmaz, he must be like 39 by now. Uh, Hatem Ben Arthur, that classic, the boy that can do some skills if he can stop getting himself to the fridge. Um, and then in Germany, we've got Toliso at Bayern Munich. Uh, Matthias Ginter has obviously gone recently to Freiburg. But, um, yeah, we've also got Axel Witzel at Borussia Dortmund, who's available on the free. So, um, long list there of names, potentially. If I start off with yourself, Andy, who's your top five? I think you'd have to put Chrissy Eriksen in there because he mm. could still go into a top team, would still do, would still start for most teams in, in England and beyond. Um, let's see, Lacazette is a strange one. I think he would be a good addition. Um, you know, it's like a mid-table Premier League club. I think they're still. I think they're still. I, I don't think he fits in with quite how Arteta wants to do things. Um, so I think you know he'll be another one. Uh, Gareth Bale is an interesting one, yeah. uh, more for romantic because there's been lots of rumours that he might just actually just pack it in this summer. Well, because the, the, other, the other one I heard was he might join Atletico Madrid just for shithousery. I mean, that would be incredible. Like, yeah, I think there's a couple of schools of thought. I think the understanding, I think, well, the the working thing that's going around is that if Wales qualify for the World Cup, he'll crack on for another year. Mm. Um, and if they don't, you might just sack it in. But I think it'd be great to see him at Atletico come back with the league and just shithouse it all over Real Madrid fans. Um, there's a few that could probably just do a bit of TLC, like... Um, Isco, it was only really yeah. five or six years ago he was a regular for Spain. You know, we thought it was going to be one of like you know, the best sort of Spanish midfielders going, and it's gone a little bit pear shaped for him in the recent 
in recent years. I think that would be a really good uh, crafty little pickup there. Um, Marcelo feels like a very Juve signing. <laughs> yeah, let's be yeah, honest. He's old. Yeah. He's Brazilian. He's out of contracts. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think for the entry, Pogba. Um, mm. I think it'd be a mistake for Juve to push the boat out for him, and it feels very much like a PSG signing. But we'll have to see if um, Kylian Mbappe gives his approval on that one. Uh, so yeah, I think that's my sort of top few out of that list. Yeah. What about you, Craig? Uh, Paulo Dybala is the one that, that really jumps mm. out at me, um, purely because I think he's probably the best player at, at this current time on that list. Um, and I think if he was to go to let's say Inter Milan, I think that might set up a chain reaction, and I think you then see yeah. um, Lautaro Martinez leave, uh, and it would then cascade from there. Uh, I also I think that the Gareth Bale debate is really interesting because you know mm. if you knuckle down over over a preseason and came back firing in August. There aren't too many teams that would that would not be improved by a fit and firing and driven and motivated Gareth Bale. So I think he's an interesting one. Belotti, we're all Belotti fans here. The, the guy can finish well. Will yeah. he get a move to you know, potentially Fiorentina? Will he get a move to maybe a Roma or an AC Milan potentially? Um, I think I think Milan would probably be better served getting him over the Divock Rigi. Mm. Uh, an example of getting those the league personally. Uh, and then Axel Witzel, I think, is a really interesting one as well. Yeah. He's, a, yeah, he's not a, a showstopper, not he's not a, an elite level midfielder, but he's a very, very tidy passer of the ball. Um, you know, I wonder some of the Premier League clubs might be sniffing around him. He also feels like a bit like a Juventus signing as well. Um, the mm-hmm. central midfield needs an awful lot of work. Ramsey's not going to play Rabio, Weston, McKinney. They they do need some bodies in there, and I wonder if Juventus might may have a look at him as well. Um, the biggest one was obviously Mbappe, but that's been put to bed and. Yes. The, the, just yeah. uh, the biggest transfer saga I can probably remember, to be honest. And reports that Real Madrid were so confident that they had the, the unveiling planned for the 13th of June. So that was already planned in the diary. Um, the cake was bought and booked, the, the whole the, <laughs> the whole shebang. Um, that's how confident they were. Um, it was mm. also, it was all turntable. So, yeah, maybe one for a future a pod debate about the, the president that's been set there um, at PSU for Kylian Mbappe because I think we're. We're about to cross the Rubicon into uncharted territories here with, with player power. Um, mm. The fact that the, the director of football was sacked six hours after he signed his contract, I think, speaks volumes. Uh, and Louis Campos brought in the guy who took him to Monaco. Um, yeah. So I think I think part of Mbappe saying that deal was that, that he changes the director of football, which, which has to be. I said, I know Messi and Ronaldo and, and all these guys um, have had player power before, but I've never known. I've never known anything like this before. And I think, well, yeah, we're starting to get into uncharted waters, I think, with this. It's all image, yeah. though, is it's all image, though, isn't it? Like, it's not a football. I still maintain it's not a footballing decision that PSG no. have made. It's yeah. all to do with a wider, you know, they've got the World Cup in guitar. It's about image. They could not stand the thought of losing, you know, their poster boy to Real Madrid. Like, yeah. it makes no financial sense giving in the contract to give in the money to have. It mm. makes no footballing sense giving a player that much power. I mean, what's going to happen? Like, if a new manager comes in and drops him after a few stinkers, it's going to be sacked. And or, also... Or if they're desperate to get rid of Neymar this summer, which is which is starting, and it's a story that's starting to manifest itself, that they want to get rid of Neymar, he's never fit, not contributing, they want rid of him. And if Bappi says no, um, I like playing mm. with him. And what are the board... What have they agreed to? What have they signed up to? You're, you're right, Andy. It's not a football decision. I think the finances are, are, are quite insane and they clearly financial is just not a thing for them. Um, but it's about the World Cup in Qatar. It's um, yeah. this was this, this was the season the Qatari owners had the World Cup. This was the season PSG was supposed to win the Champions League. Uh, and this was the season Bambi mm. was supposed to sign his new deal. And this was all supposed to come together um, as in the sport washing um orgy uh, that it was supposed to be <laughs> and it's, it's just not going very well so they had to they absolutely had to throw money at this and um yeah the interest in what managers that they could have potentially got that looking at this is you know is Antonio Conte looking at that scenario thinking because that would be a clash of, of cultures if, if Antonio Conte goes in there with, with his style or his level of control that he demands I don't think him in this situation in, in PSG I think the signing of the, the Kevin Mbappe contract makes a Conte appointment impossible I, I just cannot cannot envision a scenario when, when those two could work together with the power that Mbappe's been given. So I think a new manager to be really, really careful because 
um, yeah, there's a new king in Paris, and the new manager will be will be limited to what he can do. Plus, I think, yeah. I think what personally I'm disappointed for is Mbappe himself. Like from a footballer point of view, right? He's one of the most, he's the most talented one of the most talented footballers of his generation, right? If he go if he went to Real Madrid. He would probably score buckets for a few years. He'd win a lot of trophies. And he, you could probably, between him and Haaland, he'd be wrapping up Ballon doors for the next few years. Mm. And he's effectively chosen to write off the next three years of his career. Because what's Mbappe going to achieve in, in Paris Saint-Germain that he's not achieved already? He's, he'll win another league. Maybe, maybe a Champions League. Maybe. Yeah. Champions League. maybe. But, but, but Nicholas Nicholas and Elka said it really, really well on, on French football uh, TV on Saturday night. And they said... That's really great for Killian. Yeah, you and your family are set up for generations. That's fantastic. But no matter what you achieve in France, people will always say it's not just in France. And he's absolutely right. Mm. You're right, Andy. He can win. He could win the next 10 titles there, be top goal scorer, MVP every single year. And he will never be thought of in the same category as your Messi's and your Ronaldo's and Zinedine Zidane's. And these guys who have been across the leagues and proven it against some of the best teams in the world mm. across multiple leagues. He'll, he'll always have it hanging over his head. Um, and I think when when you come to it, that, that look, look back in his career, uh, I, I maybe we're just being romantic and, uh, from a football point of view because we're, we're fans and we're neutrals, but I think he might look back in this in 18 months and, and maybe regret it. But yeah, you get 40 million euros a year after tax. You know? I suppose it would be... I suppose he'll only be 25 when his contract ends or something like that. So I suppose mm. maybe he's forced yeah, maybe he's from that point that, yeah. of view. Yeah. But yeah. I did hear on the Mbappe stuff that he was keen to bring uh, his ex-teammate Thiago Motta as the uh, manager potentially, which I, I was like, God, if that's the decision-making, then uh, yeah, good luck to PSG and their uh, hierarchy. Man. But yeah, um, just quickly on this one, uh, there's two names that I haven't mentioned that I thought would be quite nice to actually put in the mix. Dries Mertens, he's on a free transfer from mm. Napoli, and uh, David Ospina. Um, oh. He'll be a really good goalkeeper for someone, uh, that's for sure. And, you know, Ivan Perisic, I'm surprised he's still available, potentially I think, available. He, I think he's going to Chelsea, I think. It was the last rumour I heard. a lot of rumours, yeah. Chelsea yeah. and other clubs were also looking to battle it out. It looks like Inter are out of it now. Um, just purely because of the um, amount of wages that he's looking to get now. So um, they've really cocked that one up, um, especially as um, he was unfancied for a period of time into a bit like the Ericsson situation when he first came to Inter Milan. So, yeah, fascinating, but hopefully that answers the question. So uh, we'll move into the Champions League preview. Uh, we've only got a few minutes to go through it, but yeah, it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Obviously, Real Madrid have been phenomenal this season. Um, they'll have to get over that hangover of Mbappe. Um, it does sound like Tushnemi is uh, lined up to go to Real Madrid. So they've obviously recovered from that. Um, but looking at the head-to-heads between the two, um, Real Madrid haven't lost to Liverpool in their last five meetings. That's four wins and one draw. Meanwhile, Liverpool haven't lost in 18 matches. So it's going to be a very fascinating matchup. Obviously, two contrasting styles of football. Um, so if I start off with yourself, Andy, obviously, I know you're going to be cheering on Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, when, when do you think that breakthrough will happen for Benzema? I think I think he'll he'll score because you know I think Real Madrid will use the similar tactic they used against Liverpool the last time they played him. I think they'll they'll hit him on the flanks and they've got the talent there to do it. I think Vinicius Junior. I think he'll have Robertson for fucking dinner uh, like he did last time. Um, yes, I'm banging that drum again and I don't care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but and uh, yeah, I think um, they've got a lot to do. But I think. If I take off my very biased head on that one, I think Liverpool, compared to maybe 18 months ago, they've got a lot, quite a few more options to come mm. off the bench and help them out. If you look at the depth they've got up front, they could choose between any of Salah, Diaz, Diego Yota. You've still got Dibble Garigi there. He tends to pop up with important goals. You've got Roberto Firmino, Mane. Like they've got a very, very talented um, you know, deck of players. Um especially, you know, sort of up top. I think it's in defence. I think it's where there isn't a level of depth. 
and if you do, you know, if players do start getting tired, I think that's where they'll struggle a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a close game. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that I think Real Madrid will win it, uh, but you know, I think Liverpool have got a good chance. Um, mm. I think it'll be, I think it'll be wrong quite late in the day. Mm. Craig, I'm going to put it to you this way. Do you think it will ultimately be decided by who can control the other team? Because it feels like this could be a midfield battle, to be fair, um, as opposed to what happens up front or what happens at the back. Because it could potentially be a bit like the previous games that Real Madrid have played out against the likes of City, for example, where it doesn't matter about the quality of the attack or defence. Ultimately, it's down to who can control the other one better. Absolutely. And you get... When you get two two great teams like this and two really really well coached teams, it's it's less about you know what tactics you play and do you press do you not. A lot of it when you get to this level is about do you win your your one on one. So the guy that you're facing up across, so does does Van Dijk get the better of Benzema or does Trent Alexander-Arnold get the better of Vinicius or does Fabinho get the better of Tony Cruz? Matchups like that, sort of head to heads, is who wins the individual battles, and I think whoever wins. More individual battles than not, and whoever whoever gets the better of their their direct opponent could potentially win this. And yeah, midfield is that is a key one. If if Modric and Tony Cruz are allowed to to break from the centre of the park, pick passes, and dictate tempo, uh, then the Liverpool backline could be in real trouble. You know, similarly, um, I don't think um, Real Madrid's fullbacks are, are anything to, to to write home about either. Um, and if Liverpool can pin them back, then then I fancy um, Alexander Arnold and Robertson from an attacking point of view to get the better of those two. So I think it's one of the, the most evenly balanced um anticipated finals in a long, long time. I'm, I'm so so glad it's Madrid um and not Man City. I just I couldn't face mm. watching another Man City Liverpool game this <laughs> season. Um so I'm glad it's about a different I logically in my head I think Liverpool because I if I look at both teams, I think pound for pound Liverpool will probably get a better start at eleven. But there's mm. just something about Real Madrid. There's just something about them. Karim Benzema, um, the goal he scored against Manchester City from the outside of the box had an expected goal XG of 0.03. That's how dangerous and how good this guy is. He, he scores goals from positions he has absolutely um, no right to. So a 3% chance of scoring that goal, and it was inch perfect um, against him to the best goalkeeper in the world. So when you've got a guy like that, you've always got a chance. And I just think... Yeah, maybe maybe Andy's right. Maybe it does get really, really edgy and Tony Cruz and, and Benzema can do something like they have done so many times this season or uh, Vinicius Junior's had a fantastic season. Maybe he can do something. But it's just, yeah, a, a finely, finely balanced game one I'm really looking forward to. And also the fact that I'm on a stag do on Saturday. Starts at 10 o'clock in the morning and it ends with watching the Champions League final at a pub in Glasgow. So by the time this game comes on, I'll be pretty incoherent and uh, just looking forward to it. And I will be, I'll be, um, I think I'll be supporting Real Madrid. I'd love to see them do it. Yeah. Just out of curiosity for the both of you, do you think this is going to go the full length in terms of go extra times and penalties or do we think it's going to be finished in the full 90? Oh, I don't know. It could, it could go the way. I think it's one of those games. It absolutely could, but I don't mm. think it'll be nil-nil though. I, I can't see. No, I, I, I cannot see neither of these teams not scoring. So if if it does go, it'll be it'll be one or two all. Um, yeah, there's just going to be there's going to be goals. In this, I, I hope so. So, what about yourself, Andy? Do you think it's got the potential to go all the way, or do you think it's over wrapped up? Yeah, I think it's got a good potential to go all the way, and I'm going to make a wild prediction as well. I think we love wild predictions on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I I've just I've just got a feeling, and this is based entirely on vibes and no actual logic. <laughs> Gareth Bale is going to come off the bench, back for the fucking dead, bang one in in extra time, and. Um, <laughs> I just, I just like I just flip off everybody as he lifts the trophy. <laughs> that 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 is my outrageous prediction for the um, Champions League final. If he does that, there's certainly vibes of Ashley Cole at Roma, where when they celebrate <laughs> the Coke yeah. Cup, there's definitely going to be something like that, right? But. Right, I think that pretty much sums that up. So we did say that we have got an announcement. So, um, yeah, I thought it was bad enough that I was seeing scenes of Adebayak and Fenua doing his last dance on Saturday. But uh, we have got some breaking news. Unfortunately, Craig will be leaving the pod. So I did count this, Craig. 75 episodes you have done. Um, and that doesn't include your initial appearance on this pod as a guest uh, initially. 
Um, so let's wrap up those rumors in years to come when there's some sort of documentary that's called Podcast Years or whatever the fuck it'd be <laughs> called, um, just to clear it up to make sure that the millions of followers that we've got know that we haven't sacked you. Um, and more importantly, that you haven't been pissed off with us too. Um, but Craig, I'm absolutely gutted to uh, break this news to the listener and viewers, but um, yeah you go with our blessings obviously as we've said in the past um but yeah what's been your favorite moment on this pod uh honestly i, I just I, I feel really really lucky to to be doing this podcast at a time where rangers have been quite good um, <laughs> i think we started the podcast at the beginning of our 55th league title and wow it could have been a different podcast if if, if not so so yeah joined at a really good time leaving at a really good time and um, just through, throughout the pandemic, I thought it was it was just lovely to to get on here once a week with you guys um, and just talk shit about the game that we love and interacting with some of the followers that we've, we've managed to accumulate and you know, the listeners that have, that have been with us since day one and some of the new guys as well. Some fantastic guests, you know, talking to Tom Hately was a personal highlight of mine. Mm. Um, just you know, talking to people who love the game as well and. Yeah, I've not been sacked. It's not been a. I've not let my contract run out. It's just <laughs> one of those things. You know, Adam and I have been speaking for a couple of months now, and it's. Um, I just. I'm struggling to find the time to give the pod the attention and, and the dedication that it, it deserves. Really. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a step back. This is the equivalent of um, Xavi going to play in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of the picture. But yeah, um, yeah. If you ever need me to come back and, and do a a guest appearance or if Rangers do something funky or Morelos comes to the Premiership then, then yeah, hit me up, hit me up mate, and I'll, I'll come back on but yeah thank you to you too it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to, to you know start this with you guys and I'll be I'll be an avid follower and a listener going forward um, with some of your future ventures and yeah thanks to all the listeners for, for listening and, and you know listening to my dulcet tones and um, shouting scream about Rangers and Roma for the last two seasons No I think your favourite analogy that I'll always remember is you wouldn't pass the gravy to Timo Werner. And I think we, we should <laughs> conclude on that bombshell. So listeners and viewers, you do know this is the last ever episode for this season. Obviously, me and Andy will continue to have conversations about the direction of the pod. So please make sure you follow our social media channels. So on Twitter at HopelessPod and on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder Podcast. Many thanks as ever to both you, Andy and Craig. Whenever you're listening to this, listener, give us the love. Give, more importantly, Craig, the wishes from us as you as listeners have enjoyed his commentary on Rangers and other things. Um, but more importantly, listener, hope you have a great summer. Enjoy, relax, detox from the football, only briefly. <laughs> And then we will see you hopefully for next season. But for now, for the final time this season, take care, everyone, and have a great summer. Bye, Goodbye. everyone. Bye. Thank you.